Are you an athlete who would like to maximize your performance to succeed at the top level? Head on over to my website at jacobandre.com and book a free 15-minute discovery call to discover if and how I can help you. G'day and welcome to the Mind Your Body Show, episode number 73. Today, I'm talking to Shannon Motlop. Shannon, welcome to the show. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. What did we interrupt in your day today? Uh, probably uh, should be out um, doing some work. So um, just uh, doing a bit of harvest for the uh, Green Ant Gin. So yeah, probably should be out doing that. But uh, I don't mind um, not being out in the sun today. It's a bit warm. <laughs> so when you say you're doing a bit of work, what does that entail? What do you mean you should be out collecting Green Ants? Yeah, that's it. I collect the green ants that go in the green ant gin. So we have them in the bottle and they're also distilled uh, for the flavour um, as well. So interesting job. A lot of people wouldn't um, be able to imagine how I get them. But, um, yeah, it's a pretty tough job trying to collect green ants. So, um, yeah, it's uh, usually I just grab the whole nest. And um, some people think I uh, pick them one by one, but um, that would take, yeah, a million years. To, to get a good amount. So yeah, we collect the nests and um, uh, send them down to Adelaide and it, it, yeah, it goes through the distilling process. So. so imagine you cut the nest off with like a pair of scissors or something. Is that how you do it? Yeah, any any sort of type of clippers you can get your hands on. So yeah, just knock the um, nest to the ground and you try and, try and pick them up and, and get them into the freezer as quick as you can before they come out of the nest. Um, yeah, imagine, imagine you'd be getting <laughs> bitten a fair bit and what's that like you'd be all red over your hands getting bitten um, yeah i do get and um yeah i i, I think i might have picked um a bit of an allergy up from it um but i'm yet to find out what that's all about so yeah i um yeah i'm, I'm sort of living on antihistamines at the moment actually so i've got to get it checked out i don't know if it's that but yeah Sounds like Daniel's got you doing all the hard work and he sits back in Adelaide just doing what all the... What do you expect? <laughs> <laughs> so it's a family business. Who, who's in this business? Uh, my dad, my brother, um, uh, basically my immediate family um, and some business partners down in South Australia. So, um, yeah, um, Mighty Craft uh, now hold a fair share of it. Um, uh, and yeah, it's going, it's going really well. It's, um, yeah, we're, we're really um, excited with where it's going and, um, it's been a pretty good journey. So, yeah. That's awesome. So how, how did the concept all start? Oh, look, we all in Darwin, we know about eating the ants bums and we didn't, um, because we're, we're, uh, we have a native food store called something wild, um, in, in the Adelaide central market we're based in, um, uh, just, I think it was a natural progression. Um, you know, we started experimenting with native foods in the top end and Daniel um, was out in the bush a lot and he was taking, uh, he took a world famous um, chef out um, into the into the bush and to show him, you know, what, what we have available here. Uh, his name was Rene Renzepi. Um, I think he was um, voted best chef in the world a couple of times. Um, a European chef and he took him out and uh, I think at the end he said, oh, look, you can actually eat these, but I don't think you'll use them. Uh, and Renee said, yeah, no, they're great. I'm going to put them on the menu. So um, it went from there. 
interesting. <laughs> yeah, really interesting. And so what's the process like? So you go and, you know, you snip the, the uh, nest off, you grab it, you, you say you put it into a freezer, but do you have a freezer in the back of the car? How, what's the process as soon as you get it? Yeah, I've got a refrigerated van. Um, so I'll, I'll just put them into buckets in the back of that and they'll just go to sleep. Um, uh, you can also bag them up, but I, I, I try to use the, the refrigerator van. It's a little bit easier and you get a little bit less touched from the ants. Um, and then they're just put in the freezer for up to four hours. You have to do over four hours, otherwise they wake up again. Um, so they just go into a bit of a sleep mode um, in the freezer. And, you know, if you, if you get them, if you get them frozen under three hours, they'll defrost and start moving around again. So um, you got to really, you got to really kill them to, before you um, separate the the leaf from the ant, um, and then you get it down to that, um, you know, where it's just the ant. So, um, and then you package that off and send it down to Adelaide, and, and they do the rest. That's yeah. amazing. So, is how did you know about the four hour thing? Is that just trial and error that they started waking up when you were? freezing him yeah yeah just trial and error yeah you just um you know i think um a couple of times i did after two hours and they they woke up really quickly um they weren't frozen enough um but yeah it quickly worked out yeah it's it's at least four hours um to be safe <laughs> yeah and I, i've had green ant gin so i know but it's the whole ant that goes into the drink yeah float they're floating in the bottle yeah um yeah, so um, I don't know. Have a good time and have a nice, relaxing drink, and you get um, the benefits of the uh, green ant and its um, health benefits. So, <laughs> and, well, and I'm glad you mentioned that because, like, I've grown up in Darwin, knowing that you can eat green ant bums. Uh, so, is the reason for not picking the bums off and only putting the bum in? Is it just like that you can eat the whole ant and it's not a big deal? It's just easier than having to go and pick millions of ant bums off. Yeah, you, you get the same flavours and, and all that, so there was no really no point in, in really separating it. And, um, yeah, it'll be um, – it's probably not a, a job I want to do anyway, picking all the bums off because they're so small. Um, but, yeah, um, yeah, it's it's definitely um, good for colds and flus. Um, uh, used as a remedy, um, you know, for thousands of years as a cold and flu remedy. Um, you know, you can make it into a tea and um, – it gives off a uh, and and the ants have an acid um, that they give off. They spray that when they um, when they are harmed, um, and you know often I have that all over my arms. Um, at the end, I, I usually can feel the um, um, yeah the the acid all over all over my arms. So, I, funny enough, I um, I wasn't um, doing ants for for about a month um, the other week, and I got my first cold in so long. Um, I I actually thought it might have, might have had something to do with not doing the doing the ants. So um, I, I kind of thought for a while I was immune to colds and flu. So I didn't get COVID in COVID time and, and all that stuff. They, like it's hard to say that it um that you know that that was uh, the result of doing ants. But um, you know I kind of started to think that a little bit. Um, <laughs> but um yeah, funny enough, I I stopped doing ants for a few weeks. Um, and uh, I actually got the flu. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. That's so, yeah. Uh, and I'm glad you mentioned the health benefits because I wanted to ask about that. Uh, but moving on to flavours of this drink. So 
I personally love Green Ant Gin and my favourite, I don't think, I think it's too good of a product that you want to mix it with anything. So you want to have as minimal other flavours as possible. So my choice yeah. is just soda water. What's your choice yeah. of how to consume Green Ant Gin? Oh, look, it's, I know this is a health show, but um, I like tonic uh, with a little bit of sugar in it. So um, I'll usually go the tonic and um, I actually put um, my homemade uh, Rosella um, uh, syrup through it. That's probably my favourite way to do it. Um, uh, otherwise, yeah, just a bit of tonic and some lime. Um, but I think, uh, you know, often when I go to go to the restaurants and things, they're normally serving it with cucumber. So I think um, that's one that goes well with it as well. So, yeah. Yeah, nice. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. So what's next for that uh, for that business? Where's that all heading to? Um, oh, it's just, it's just hopefully hopefully getting bigger and bigger and just, just grows. Um we, we really, really see it as a territory-owned business and um, currently it's based in South Australia, but um, we really want a distillery in Darwin. So, um, you know, we've, we've, we've been looking into that and how that can work, um, but, yeah, it, it just hasn't um, come about yet. So um, hopefully one day Darwin has a green ant gin distillery. Um, so that would be great. Uh, I think that's what we're aiming for in the next couple of years. Yeah, awesome. So let's go back and hear the Shannon Motlop story. Take me right back to childhood. What was it like growing up in Darwin and where did it all begin? Um, I, most of my childhood, all I can sort of remember is growing up around the um, Nycliffe Football Club because um, my dad and his brothers were just, um, as you do when you play footy, you just constantly um, you come home from work and you go to footy training. And um, I, I reckon if um, dad left us at home, with mum, we'd um, we'd have a fair whinge when he got home. So we just wanted to get down to the footy oval. All our mates were there. Um, some of my closest mates, um, Dion and Nathan Grant and uh, Bradley Paris, those in footy would know those names. Um, they were they were floating around um, the footy club all the time with their dads. And um, yeah, I just uh, it was just a, a place he just wanted to be. And I think I think we developed our. Um, you know, our footy uh, skills and knowledge um, just from being around it so much um, and always having a footy in our hands. So um, other than that, um, one of the things I love to do, we love to go hunting, we love to shoot magpie geese and um, get out and do all that stuff and fishing and all that that type of thing is what um, we just grew up doing and um, and that's led to our business. It's a big part of why we, we got involved in native food. Um, so, yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I went to Nycliffe High School, St. John's for a little bit, um, St. Paul's uh, Primary School. Um, so yeah, just uh, yeah, really enjoyed my my childhood in Darwin, and then quickly moved away at the age of eighteen to to pursue my footy. Tell me a little bit about St. Paul's Primary School because it sounds like the uh, the product house of you know amazing footballers. Like I've had. Anthony Vallejo on the show, uh, your cousin Aaron just recently. Uh, yep. Sounds like there was a lot of, you know, very handy footballers that went to that school. What was it like there? It was good. Um, but at the time, we didn't know we were all going to be um, footballers. So, I mean, Anthony Vallejo wasn't even playing footy um, at that point, from my memory. Um, I think he got more into it um, maybe, maybe, maybe year seven or – into year eight, so um, I, I can't really remember him playing under 14s or anything, but um, 
Yeah, um, you know, but we had um, guys like Robbie Armack come through the school. Um, uh, these are all guys I went to school with, you know, Scott Chisholm. Um, and I, and I, I think Nathan Buckley went there prior to me as well. So, um, yeah, lots of great footballers come through. The, the, the Clarks as well, Xavier and, um, and Raf Clark as well. So, yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was a, it was a bit of a, a footy school, but at the school across the road, Milner Primary School, they used to flog us. So, <laughs> funny enough, they had the ones with all the talent, but the ones that didn't go on. So, yeah, so I, I actually went over to Milner Primary School and played for them. They were, they were that good. And there's um, there's a photo of that that circulates through um, Facebook today um, of that, that team that I played in. Yeah, so it was great. It was, I loved growing up in Darwin. Yeah, what was it like at recess and lunch at St. Paul's? Actually, funny enough, we, we mostly played soccer. A lot of our a lot of our kids were soccer players, so um, yeah, uh, <laughs> you know the footy was there, but a lot of it was soccer. So yeah, um, I guess um, one of the greatest things about Darwin is we grew up playing all sports, not just you know if you, if you live in Sydney, you just focus on rugby league, but we're so focused on every sport up here, and you develop you develop all the skills that you. You need, you know, if you end up playing AFL, well, you've developed all these extra skills. And I think that's what what makes our players better on the big stage. Um, you look at the, um, you know, Cyril Rioli and um, some of the other players that have gone through the AFL, they, they're, um, yeah, they're, they're tackling ability is, um, you know, somewhat better than already developed when they get there. So, um, yeah, I think um, playing all the different sports has really helped me. Talking about uh, playing all different sports as a kid and uh, throwing him under the bus here a little bit, but I remember there was uh, an occasion where Daniel, your brother, was playing, obviously had played a lot of footy and then was playing rugby league and he made a break and he got through the line and he was like full out and he took a bounce. He was just in his head. He was just so used to footy and then he was playing rugby league and he's, as he's bouncing, he just put his hands to his head and went, oh, what am I doing? <laughs> Pretty common story, that one that we hear, especially around the rugby um a lot of rugby people always come up and have a joke about it. So, yeah, it was uh, pretty funny. Yeah, um, we were always talk about that one. Um, yeah, just getting a bit confused playing too many sports. So I think Daniel actually holds a – at one point he held the uh, shot put record in Darwin for under 12s or something like that. So we did a fair bit of athletics as well. So. Are you an Aussie rules footballer who would like to maximise your performance to succeed at the top level? My Australian rules football dynamic group coaching program is a 12-phase program that has been curated from my 15-plus years working as a strength and conditioning coach with local footballers right through to AFLW players at Adelaide and Richmond. To get instant access to my Australian rules football dynamic group coaching program, simply head on over to jacobandre.com forward slash Australian dash rules dash football. What was your best athletics event? Um, funny enough, me and Joel Bowden always joke about the um, state championships. He he totally forgot about it because he won the, the 100 metres. Um, uh, so I think um, he he was more focused on uh, being the champ. Um, but my uncle, I didn't know at the time either, actually, that it was Joel Bowden. But my uncle always tells me he's got a photo of um, me and Joel on the uh, finish line uh, and him just pipping me in the NT Championships. So um, he got the gold, I got the silver. So, yeah. So the 100 metres was um, 
probably one of my best, but I'd, I was pretty good at the long jump. That was probably uh, my favourite, and and um, I missed out on the gold at the NT Championships uh, by two centimetres in that one, but it was my favourite event. Do you know who that was too? It wasn't Joel again, was it? Uh, I'm going to say his name, Leon Van Lingen. I'll, I'll never forget it because Leon always picked me at every um, in every event. Um, and that, I uh, actually uh, got my PB and hit the front on my last jump. And um, he'd never jumped the distance that I jumped that day, but he got me by two centimetres and got his PB that day. So um, <laughs> I think it, um, the fact that we were pushing each other might have been the reason why. Yeah, it was probably a um, uh, healthy um, um competitive sort of um, thing we had going on there. So, yeah, it was great. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So you went on to Nycliffe High and St. John's. How come the switch between the two? What were those schools like? Um, so, yeah, started at St. John's, and but I um, always wanted to go to public school because I just didn't want to wear a uniform. Um, I'm pretty casual like that. I'm, I'm like that now, um, and I, that's why I chose to do the job that I do. I just don't like getting in uniform and going to work. So, um yeah, so I, I pushed um, – Dad always sent us to Catholic schools um, right up to year eight, and I pushed him all through year eight to let me go to Nycliffe High School. Um, and uh, he just kept saying no, and then finally he said a yes, and so I moved across to Nycliffe High. So, yeah, it was great. I had great years at Nycliffe High. A lot of good footballers came out of Nycliffe High as well. So, yeah, it was great. Yeah, so you played around as a kid kicking the footy – for fun at Nycliffe Footy Club. Who was the first club you actually played for and how old, what grade was that? Yeah, Nycliffe Football Club was my first club. Um, I played through the under-14s under there. I was there, you know, my whole life. Um, you know, I was there before I actually played. So with Dad and his brothers um, uh, playing, uh, just running around the club. And then um, when I was 16, uh, we all decided we were all going to, the whole family decided we were going to move to um to Wanderers after a bit of a um, club disagreement between um, the family and um, uh, uh, the, the committee at the time. And uh, we just decided, um, you know, we decided between um, Waratahs and uh, Wanderers. That were the two names that were being thrown up. Um, and, you know, we thought um, Wanderers was the club. Um, you know, we had a lot of close friends there. Um, uh, Russell Jeffries was there coaching at the time. And, um, yeah, so we thought that was the right decision and, um, yeah, it was. It was a, a really good decision and, you know, I, I loved my career at Wanderers as well. So, um, yeah, it was, it was great. And a lot of my good mates um, were playing there at the time and are still there now, so it was good. So I believe it was Wanderers was the club that you were playing at when you were drafted. Tell me about it. Correct me if I'm wrong there. And tell me about that uh, process of being drafted into the AFL at the Kangaroos. Um. Yeah, so I had to – I was quite a small kid, so I was one of those kids that didn't develop till really late. And I'm talking really late. I I didn't get my growth spurt till I was 17. Um, and I, I was pretty as – as a kid um, at primary school level, I'd gone away with the state teams um, uh, a few times and I was playing some good footy and um, actually captain the state. Uh, we went away and we won five of our um, – I think five or six games um, and finished second to Victoria. And um, so I had a really good carnival in my last year in that. And 
by the time I was 17, I was sort of not getting picked in any of these sides. So I went off the radar um, a little bit and didn't know what to do with my footy. And um, Russell Jeffries gave me my first senior game in the NTFL. And I think it was a bit of a charity sort of thing. Um, uh, I didn't think I really earned my first game, but they gave me a game anyway because I'd started to grow and I started to look, must have started to look, look like I was developing. Um, and I did all right. And um, so they played me another 12 games. And by the time I got to my 12th game, I, I was um, playing on, I, I was sort of given a, a stopping role, but I was also starting to get a kick as well and stop you know, some of the better players in the game. So some of the roles I got given was um, Brian Stanislaus, um, uh, uh, Southern Districts, uh, Popsy Collard, who was a great player and a forward, and I kept him um, relatively quiet. I think I kept him goalless in a, in a final. Um, so it, that sort of set me up. And um, my uncle Mark, who played at Glenelg, um, he, he said, oh, well, look, it's probably time for you to go away. So we'll give Glenelg a call and Glenelg didn't um, get back to us. So um, we uh, decided, um, oh, well, his mate plays at, um, uh, he's coaching North Adelaide. Um, uh, so we'll go across um, across to North Adelaide. So, um, and that was Chris, Chris McDermott, who also played at Glenelg with him. Um, and yeah, from there, everything just uh, really flew. Um, I spent a, a, a season in the under-19s, then I spent a, half a season in the reserves and half a season playing in the seniors in 1996, I reckon. Um, then I did a pre-season with Paul Power. Um, and by 19, the 1998 draft, I was drafted so uh, to North Melbourne. Um, and a really late draft pick as well. Um, back then, there was uh, that, that year, there was 93 draft picks and I got taken at 85. So um, yeah, it was a really quick pr- progression once I started to find my feet, yeah. How old were you when you played that first uh, Premier League game or A-grade game back then with Russell at Wanderers? Uh, I was 17, yeah. Yeah. And, and so, um, yep. And then you, you drafted at 19 to North Melbourne. Tell me about that process. Was anyone from the club talking to you? Were you talking to other clubs? No, and that's why uh, I'll go back to um, why I was speaking about making the state teams at, at primary school level. Um, I think I was actually drafted because I was noticed at primary school level and then I was um, I was back on the radar um, in the SNFL um, and I think the recruitment manager for North Melbourne kind of said, well, where's this kid been for the last five years? Um, and I just popped back on his radar. He just happened to be at... Um, one of my games, uh, obviously looking at other players, um, and he just—I just happened to um, have a really big game that day, and um, yeah, he, he asked the question. Like, I think he contacted my dad and said, "Where's he been?" My dad explained to him like he was a really late developer, and um, yeah, he couldn't get picked in the in the Teal Cup at the time, which was the under 18s. Um, so yeah, I missed all that and went off the radar and um, so I had to had to move to Adelaide and get back on the radar and I, I, one of the biggest things is I believed in myself um, I believed I could play um, AFL footy and I just went for it yeah and so uh, had the club told you that they're going to pick you up that 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 day on draft day yeah they, they told me pick four um, 
I think pick four happened to end up being Gary Durke. Um, so um, I was really excited about that because I was told I was going to be picked up and I knew there's, there was still seven picks. Um, North Melbourne, North Melbourne seven, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, North Melbourne had seven picks. Um, and Gary ended up going at four, which was meant to be me. So I thought to myself, well, it'd be great if I end up there now, um, but my chance might be gone because they said four. Um, so I sat and waited and, and I think – I think I went at the sixth pick um, at pick 85 and then they went the seventh pick Shane Clayton um, at 80 at 93 um, so they picked up seven guys um, and Shane Clayton and myself the last last two picks we played in the premiership that year so um, everyone else missed out but we we actually uh, yeah found ourselves in the in the grand final which was great. That's crazy. I got goosebumps hearing that, that, you know, getting picked in the 80s and 90s and you play in the grand final. You've played in some, you, you've had some very unique experiences with the AFL. One of them is the fact that you played in a grand final in your first year. Tell me what it was yeah. like being involved at North Melbourne under Dennis Pagan. You got players like Wayne Carey and Glenn Archer around you. What was, don't tell me about grand final day just yet. Tell me about the season yeah. leading up throughout yeah. that season. I was really intimidating. Like, I, I um, I didn't play my best footy because those people were around, I thought. Um, psychologically, it was in my head, like, give them the ball. Um, I, I didn't play my normal self, and I, I don't think I, I really – there wasn't – there was probably a few glimpses of, of the way I should have played um, and throughout my career, but um, having those types of players around early in my career was really intimidating. Um, there was there's so many times I should have kicked goals that I passed it off to to someone. Um, so I really wish I could have just went in with a lot more confidence. I think my brothers did when they when they made it because they'd seen me go before them and they felt like they you know that's that's where they're going and that's where they should be when they arrived. They felt more comfortable with it, I think. Um, but I was very nervous um, when I first um, when I first got there, and I, I wouldn't say nervous. I wasn't nervous, but I um I didn't I didn't harness all my ability when I played. Um, I started to do that later later in my career, but um, early on it was just so intimidating not not to give the ball to, to some of those players um, and just back yourself in. And and that that's probably my biggest regret on um, AFL is that I didn't just play my way um, uh, and just take the game on. And what was it like being coached by Dennis Pagan? Yeah, very tough. That was probably another another part of it. Um, uh, yeah, Dennis was. Um, yeah, it was a it was a hard man. He was a good coach, obviously. Um, I don't think I adapted to him quite as well as I should have, um, just because of the way that um, his relationships are with players and um, uh, you know the expectation that that he that he set. I felt. I felt going to Melbourne under Neil Danaher was a lot easier than playing under Dennis Pagan. That's that's for sure. Um, I felt a lot more comfortable at Melbourne. Um, yeah, and Dennis was, um, yeah, he was tough. He was tough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, what was it like playing in your first season and playing in a grand final and winning the premiership? Um, yeah, it was amazing. It was, um, and it, like I said, Dennis made us earn it. So. Um, uh, you know, it's not as easy as um, just uh, playing well and getting in the side. 
Dennis actually made us um, train a lot harder than um, the rest of the players, um, those guys that were on the fringe. And he had a um, come finals. He had a he actually had a session set up, an extra session after training, um, which he called "Who Wants It," and um, we all just had to go for it. And it was <laughs> it was um, yeah, we we went to war for about thirty minutes um, with the opposite with, with the um, with the guys that we were trying to um, fight for spots with. So uh, yeah, I was um, yeah, it was grueling. <laughs> I think was yeah. it you when I was involved with Wanderers as a fitness coach, was it you that said something about a drill where you kicked it out from the goal square and then two players just sprinted out and had to go back and kick the goal? Was that one of those ac- activities? Um, yeah, it could have been. If not, what were some of the things that you had to do? Um, was it a one-on-one competitive? Yeah, one-on-one, yeah. It could have been, it, it could have been one, of those, one of those, but yeah, it was all one-on-one. Who wants the footy? Go for it and just fight like dogs for it. Um, and it'll be just repetitive, a, a number of different um, competitive drills. Um, and uh, yeah, it was uh, physically taxing as well. So it was um, it was pretty tough. But um, I remember at one point laying on the ground and I couldn't get up. Um, and he's just screaming at me. Do you, do you want it? Do you want it? He doesn't want it. <laughs> you just land on the ground. So um, you slowly get up and, and just try to keep going. But um, I remember after the the uh, the one we did before, so we did this before the grand final. Um, and uh, so on the Wednesday, um, he put us through it. And I remember after it going, oh, I'm gone here. Um, I didn't go hard enough in that. And uh, I thought I was out of the side just because of that session. So... I was quite relieved when I got named on the Thursday night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, not long after Daniel ends up at the Kangaroos with you, how long after was that and what was that like? Um, yeah, it was great. Um, it was great having your brother. Um, yeah, we had, but unfortunately um, the time that I was there with him was only about three years and his first year he didn't play too much because he was young. Um, his second year, um, I think I got a little bit injured that year, missed a few games and we, we played a couple together, but, um, not as many as we, we'd like to. And then in my last year, they, uh, Dean Laidley became coach and I, I went out the door when Dean Laidley came in, unfortunately, Dean, um, Dean, uh, I, I thought he saw a lot in me, the way he spoke to me, but he wouldn't name me on, on game day. So, um, yeah, it's funny. I was playing on, I was playing as good a footy as I could too at the time, and um, he wouldn't name me. So um, he, uh, I think he brought in a, a new heap of recruits that he wanted to play above me. So yeah, it's um, you quickly go out of favour. Yeah. Did Daniel get upset with that? Because then Daniel didn't leave. Left not long, too long after. Yeah. Yeah. I think he. I think um, he did. Um, Daniel only spent another year or. Yeah, another year after I left. So, and then, um, yeah, then they were quite surprised why he wanted to leave. But I think that had a lot to do with it. Yeah, and obviously Daniel then re- requested a trade to Port Adelaide. Yeah, he did. Port yeah, Power. yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. so what was what was the next journey like for you? The next chapter where you then go out the door at North Melbourne, you end up at Melbourne. So there's a whole bunch of stuff yeah. that goes on with how that happened, but. 
what were you doing in that transition period? Um, I, I sort of, um, I decided under Dean Laley that I didn't want to play footy no more. I didn't want to play AFL no more. And it was, it was, um, I sort of carried that through the year. So, um, I decided, um, at the end of the year, I said, um, you know, don't want to be here no more. Um, North Melbourne, obviously, um, it was a mutual agreement and, um, I decided to go back to Adelaide. So I spent an Adelaide, a uh, year in Adelaide there and, um, I thought I'd get redrafted because I was I was very close to getting a trade, um, but it didn't come through. Uh, there was a number of clubs we were talking to, and um, I thought, well, if I have a good year in the SNFL, um, I can get picked up at the end of the year. And so I went through, I had a really good year in the SNFL, um, and then you know, again, uh, Geelong, one of them, uh, were one of the clubs that I was speaking with, uh, and. It didn't actually happen, so the draft came and I missed out. And um, so I decided, well, that's the end of my AFL career, um, which I was I was okay with. And um, I went through and done another preseason with North Adelaide, um, heading into my second year with North Adelaide. Um, draft was over, but luckily I entered in the draft because um, a position became available for me. Um, in, in the worst of circumstances um, uh, after the tsunami and, um, you know, Troy, Troy Broadbridge losing his life in the tsunami, um, a position became available. Um, and I just put my hand up for that. I come in, I came in at late notice um, because I only picked up on it. My wife um, made note of it in the um, Adelaide Advertiser. Um, the article was in there saying that there was um, – four guys going for spots on the Melbourne list and they were about to finalise that. And I put in a last minute um, application, I guess. Um, and uh, it was interesting because I was coming back to Darwin to play in the, in the, in the um, prelim final that weekend. And um, I came back and we won it. Uh, but uh, the, the Melbourne scouts were up in Darwin watching that game um, after I'd um, contacted them. And uh, immediately after the game, they, they they announced that I was going to Melbourne. So I ended up missing the the, the grand final in 2000 and, um, 2005. Um, so yeah, to this day, I, it's it's a bit of a regret of mine because I, I think if I played, I reckon we would have won it. We ended up going down by a, a couple of goals, but I, I reckon I could have got us over the line. I reckon without being without being cocky. Um, I think I could have made a difference. So um, I really regret that moment. But I got the opportunity to go to Melbourne. Who can give up that opportunity? So I had to take it. And they wouldn't allow me to play the grand final. So <laughs> that's how it was. <laughs> what was it like being coached by Neil Denner? Yeah, it was good. Neil was a lot more relaxed than Dennis Fagan, like I said. Um, um, I felt a lot more comfortable around him. Um, I, I did have to break into a, a forward line of Aaron Davey, Adam Musa, and Byron Pickett. Um, so I was constantly up against that. I was, I spent the two. I played um, my first season. I didn't do too bad. I, I, I barely did a preseason and actually came into the AFL system again um, in 2005. And um, but I was riddled with hamstring injuries due to back problems, um, and I think that was a, a lack of conditioning. Um, so I, I, I actually did my hamstring seven times in one season, but 
Um, I think they were just muscle spasms that were causing the hammy to go off because they'd only be sore for a week. Um, so I, was, I, I got down to playing every second week in my first season, but I got all that right um, late in the season. I ended up playing finals for Melbourne in 2005, but unfortunately Geelong pumped us by 100 points that day. Um, and then I got myself, my body better in 2006 um, and only managed three games that year. So um, they set me emergency for nearly every game of the season. So trying to break in was pretty hard with um, the likes of Aaron Davian and that holding their spots and playing good footy. So um, that saw me out at the end of 2006 and I got delisted. Yeah, so you get delisted, you leave Melbourne, you come back, you play footy here, and you're now into coaching. What's coaching like compared to playing? What are your philosophies? What do you try to do with your coaching? Um, I try to I try to read the play when I watch, it, watch a game. I try to read the play as though I'm out on the field. I, I, really, um, I really try to take myself back to really feeling the game as a player. Um, and I think um, I think that's one of my strengths is um, uh, the way I feel the game, um, and and also um, I, I really uh, I think selecting the players that you want to play for your club is is first and foremost and really really important that you get the right people to play the right positions. Um, so um, and also you know just um, relationships with players as well as is probably number one at the top. Um, you've got to have good relationships with players. And um, I've always had that as a player. Um, I've always been a part of the social side of footy um, and that's bringing players together. Uh, and, and and I'm not talking, you know, having to have alcohol or, or anything around. I'm talking, um, you know, when guys come to Darwin, making sure they have a, a really good Darwin experience and, and that they, they want to come back as well. So... Um, I'm pretty rounded in, in in my contribution as a player to the footy club and um, and as a coach as well. Yeah. So you coached initially at Wanderers and now you're now at Pints. What are you looking – what was it like to be the inaugural Premier League coach at Pints and what are you looking for in progress this year? Yeah, it was great because you get to start with a blank canvas and, and we did. We did start with a blank canvas. We – we brought in a, a, a lot of good players. Um, unfortunately, points are in a position um, that um, we rely heavily on players from down south. And I, I, I reckon me coming on board was an opportunity to, re- to recruit locally. Um, it doesn't help because if I do recruit locally, they're four points. So um, that's that doesn't really work for us. Um, and I'd like to see that change. But... Um, yeah, so coming on board, I was just working with a, a, a bunch of players that we brought in. We, we didn't know how they played, but we knew they were good players. Um, but what we ended up in the first season was was a really competitive team, but a very unbalanced team. Um, we, we were very tall, um, very a very big side, lacking pace. Um, and, um, you know, we had to work with that. And we had to, there was last season, there wasn't much we could do about that. So we... We just we were just competitive for the whole season, which the boys were really proud of, and we we probably under underachieved by not making finals. But um, uh, in saying that, you know, we would have made finals if we could beat Tiwi. Um, 
but we couldn't beat Tiwi because we were a little bit slow. So um, you, you would have thought last year was a must must win, uh, a definite win against Tiwi, but um, not for us. It was it was actually troubling. Yeah, I've heard a lot um, in these episodes, particularly speaking to Chopper at Saints and Ezzy at Waratahs, in the importance of getting to a grand final and playing in it. And, of course, you never want to lose it, but playing in a grand final first before winning one. Uh, and both of yeah. them attributed playing in grand finals and losing to their future success the following year. Yeah. It sounds similar with Pints in the entire season. Do you think that it was still a success in that while you didn't play finals, having that experience and nearly playing finals has set you up better for this year? Yeah, for sure. We just used last year as our base um, and we've, we hope we made all the right decisions up until now to um, put the right, right side out on the field, a more balanced team. Um, and, you know, we can only, um, we can only uh, sort of see what, what's going to happen in the future when, when we start playing. So um, we think we're in a good spot at the moment. Um, I, in regards to making a grand final and, and um, you know, maybe having to lose one first, I, depends on how experienced your, your team is. So if you've got a very experienced team, well, then that shouldn't be an issue. Um, and, and that's, I think that's what we've got. We, we, we've got a very experienced footy team. And um, if we did manage to make a grand final, I'd, I wouldn't say experience was, a, was an issue. I, I think we're capable of, of winning it based with the, with the older heads that we've got. So, um, uh, I think it wouldn't be an issue for us, but yeah, I can see how a younger, developing side um, would would need a, um, maybe to lose one uh, before they win one. So you look at Waratahs, you know, they took a, a good I don't know four or five years before they actually won it. So um, yeah, it's, it's it's taken a fair effort and a lot of energy um, to to pull it all together. So would I be right in assuming that what we can expect to see from Pints this year is a lot more speed, recruitment of some faster, zippier players? Yeah, I reckon everyone knows that, you know, I'm trying to do that. Um, uh, I, I, it's, it's, not to be, um, it's not to be the quickest side in the comp, it's just to be able to match up better. Um, simple as that. Um, it's, no, it's, it's no secret formula or anything like that. It's just to be able to... Um, match up better. I think as a t- as a team, we'll just be a better side um, with a with if we can match up with the opposition quicks. Tell me about that first that first win um, for you in the Premier League this last season. Yeah, it was um, quite amazing to, to do it against Saints. Was um, and, you know, I I my whole career I barely won a game against Saints. So you know, I'm talking back in the '90s, um, right through to the, up to 2010. I don't think I'd ever won a senior game against St. Mary's. So um, to to win um, our first game against St. Mary's it, is, um, yeah, it was just a re- really exciting night. Um, uh, Saints are always a great side. So, um, yeah, it, I'm not sure if it was a surprise to beat them or, or what, but um, it probably was because we hadn't won a game before. But, um, yeah, it was, it was great just to – I think – more to get that that first win was was um, great for the club, and um, there was some amazing scenes in the rooms after it. So it was great. 
Who do you think this season is going to be the big mover, the surprise packet? You can't say yourself, and don't tell me Waratahs because they're the premiers. But which club are you probably the most concerned about or the most excited for, you know, um, at, for another club that you think is going to have the yeah. biggest improvement? I think Southern Districts, even though they finished second, um, I think they're going to be a lot stronger this year. Um, uh, they're just going to add to what they had last year. And, um, yeah, I, I think the way that they're going about it, um, with Shannon in charge, um, um, I think they're, they're going to improve drastically this year. Um, yeah, so it'll be an interesting year because um, I know Waratah is going to be solid. Um, and, yeah, I think there's teams coming up as well to match them. So, yeah, it'll be a good year. Yeah, well, best of luck, best wishes for the season ahead. You're a cracking bloke. You're one of my favourite people. I love working with you. I love uh, chatting with you. And I think you're the, the right man for the job at Pints. And I really hope that they go through and win a premiership with you in charge. Um, Shannon, I just want to acknowledge you for all the work that you do uh, in footy and, you know, collecting those green ants for your brother. You do all the hard yards. <laughs> I hope everyone remembers that when they're having a cold, nice, icy <laughs> um, green ant gin. <laughs> And yeah. thank you for your time on the Mind Your Body Show. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, before we go, yes. I've got this 10 and 10 that I'm going to ask you about. So as you've been talking, I've been yeah. writing. And so I've got what I want you to give me a very quick answer on these 10 things. You ready for it? Yeah, I'll try. <laughs> First thing that comes to mind when I say green ants. Um, pain. <laughs> Number two, business. Um, hard work. Number three, growing up around the Nightclub Football Club. Um, best part of my life. Number four, magpie geese. Uh, yummy. <laughs> Number six, playing all sports as a kid. Oh, learnt a lot. Number six, uniforms. Hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Number seven, Wanderers Football Club and the transition across. Um. Yeah, a very good part of my life, yeah. Again, one of the best parts of my life. Uh, number eight, late development. Good or bad? Um, hope it don't happen to my kids. <laughs> number nine, winning an AFL premiership. Uh, amazing. Where's that? Uh, by the way, where's that medal? Where do you put? Where do you have that stored? Uh, you know what? Um, somewhere here. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> too sure. I've got, it, I've got it in a safe spot, but... I think it's in uh, with all my photo albums and stuff, just tucked in, tucked away in a box. So, and number yeah. number ten, pint football club. Yeah, look out. <laughs> <laughs> this is so this is a bonus question. I normally ask this question as number ten, but I wanted to get all those ten out first. So for you, it's a bonus one. Uh, if you could go forward in time or back in time, and this is time travel, so you can come back to now. Which point yeah. in time would you go to, and why? Oh, that's bloody hard. So I'm thinking about my kids here being born and um, all that. But I think you want to hear the 1999 AFL Premiership um, and probably the two weeks involved in that. Um, winning it, game day, um, and everything that happened after it was um, amazing. So, um, yeah, it, it's hard to beat that. The two weeks, so the week leading up and the week after, is that what you're referring to? Um, no, the, the the winning it and then, you know, we ended it from there, we um, 
it was a, just a really good week together. And then we ended up in Cancun, Mexico, um, for a week. Um, so yeah, those, those two weeks were bloody amazing. <laughs> yeah, to meet. Yeah. Oh yeah. I imagine. So <laughs> I'm going to give you the opportunity to talk about your kids though. Uh, so if you were going yeah. to talk, if you're going to mention, you know, go back in time to your kids, tell me about, about that. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah. My, my son being born, my three sons and, and my daughter, um, but yeah, just uh, how can you leave those out? Um, yeah, and just watching them grow up, yeah, just uh, and, and seeing what they become um, is is really interesting. Uh, my 18, 19 year old Brody, he's um, he's in a in a point of his life where he doesn't know what he's going to do at the moment, and um, he's just kind of in limbo. He's uh, down in Adelaide trying out the footy thing with uh, currently on the Port Magpies list. Um, but yet to play a senior game, and um, he's just sort of in limbo and working his life out. So, all those all those things you um, you know you come across in life um, with your kids is um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's great. You just um, just love having kids. I want to give you an opportunity to shout out your wife as well because I imagine that you would yeah. really want to you know, because obviously you can't do so many things without her support. So, yeah. uh, what does Shannon mean to you? Yeah, have you told it? Have you mentioned me and my wife have the same name yet? <laughs> no, I haven't. Yeah, I, as I said that, I thought oh, geez, so I should actually it. say, <laughs> "What's it like having the same name as your as your husband and wife?" <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It was it, yeah. Um, it's worn like like you just saw there. It's worn off. Everyone's sort of got used to it now. But um, yeah, it was quite uh, it's quite quite weird early. And when we met, we. I thought to myself, this, this could never be my wife. But, um, you know, we just sort of got used to it. And, um, yeah, it just went from there. But, yeah, we, the funny thing is her middle name's Edith and my middle name's Edward. So our mail comes in SE Motlop and um, can get a bit confusing. So, <laughs> um, so um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, always a, it's always a laugh. And it, it gets a run over the radio now and then. Um, you know, I was driving along one day on my way home for lunch and next minute they're talking about me and my wife on the radio so in Adelaide so um because they picked up on our names in the paper um and they ran a segment on it so yeah it is a bit of a laugh so um funny thing is we were in Bali the other year and we met someone who actually knows someone else that um is married to Shannon and Shannon's married in Melbourne so um yeah found that funny so it's, nice, <laughs> it's like a bit of a funny one, so. not so unique <laughs> Yeah, 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 which is kind of annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Shannon, thank you so much and best wishes for the season ahead and, and life in general business as well. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. What's the most overlooked part of running but the most important? Your mechanics. My new course, Running Mechanics 101, is a nine-module course which will teach you how to run more efficiently and effectively. For free, instant access, simply head on over to jacobandre.com.